Well, here's the thing about dancing. You can't fake it. When someone is truly dancing, you know it. Maybe you've seen it in the dance of a child that's just full of energy, just that natural energy for life. Or maybe you've seen it watching that new couple as they do their first dance on the wedding floor. Or maybe it's actually later that evening when the elderly couple comes out on that same dance floor. There's a sense that a person's whole being is involved. And if you lean in, you know there's a story in history there. Our scripture reading today has that feel. You get a sense very quickly that this is not just a psalm of routine praise or some practiced prayer to God. This comes from an experience of a life lived. And there's a story here. Listen to these words from Psalm 30. And note the psalmist's experience of life and life with God. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And you did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. And you have healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from Sheol. Restored me to life from among those who have gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and the Lord I have made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and closed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. A long time ago, pre-COVID, there was this world where we used to gather. We gathered for retreats and fellowship and things like that. You, you may actually remember this. Um, this particular occasion, I was preparing for a marriage retreat, and I was working with our speaker on the content for the retreat. Kelly Flanagan was joining us, and we'd known him for a while at this point, so we completely trusted him. But when I got the outline for the weekend, I was definitely intrigued, but I was also skeptical and unsure. From what I could tell, the last session of our marriage retreat, right before we sent everybody back out into the world to live their lives, was going to be about death. Why in the world would we want to spend our last and final session on a marriage retreat talking about death? The wisdom for Kelly was that we really can't value our companions until we value our time. Maybe you've noticed this in your own life, but researchers have observed that there's a discrepancy in the values of the young and the old. It seems as though younger people are in this building phase of life, focused on achievement, advancement, accumulation, and expansion, whereas those who are in later life seem to be focused on more everyday pleasures and the relationships in their life. However, as as researchers looked into this value discrepancy, They found something different. It really wasn't a matter of age, but of perspective. When subjects were asked to imagine moving far away, 
the values of the young shifted to match those of the old. And when they were asked to imagine a medical breakthrough that could add 20 years to your life, the elderly began to reflect the values of the young. The researchers concluded, as Kelly summarized in his book, when horizons feel like decades, which feels like forever to a human being, we desire achievement and self-actualization. However, when time ahead begins to feel finite and uncertain, our focus shifts to the immediate present, to ordinary pleasures and to our closest people. We most value our closest companion only when life's fragility is primed. Maybe Kelly was right after all. We really can't value our companions until we value our time. We share a similar concept with our parents here. You may or may not know this, but from the time a child is born until they typically leave the house, it's about 936 weeks that you have with that child. <laughs> and I have an app on my phone that does this countdown for me. So currently, my oldest Amelia is 597 weeks old, and she has only 317 weeks until she moves on. Now, parents typically don't like when I share this stuff, but the concept is simple. When you realize how much time you have left, you tend to make more of the time you have. As I track these weeks, I remind myself of the truth of the time that is left. And in doing so, I'm more likely to lean in, more likely to be intentional. It's the wisdom of Psalm 90. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist here in our text, he's had this experience. We don't know the full circumstances, but it is clear that the psalmist has had an experience where the fragility of life was primed. In the middle of the psalm, there's this pattern that, as I read it, it feels so familiar. I've been here before. Perhaps you've been here before as well. In fact, I know you have, not because I know your stories, but because I know it's a pattern we all encounter and we are not immune to it. This pattern is part of the human story. We see in the beginning in verse 6, the psalmist declares, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. You hear the values of the young here. Life is good. Your plans are falling in place. Relationships are solid. Career is moving in the right direction. Healthy, happy. I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have established me as a strong mountain. But then something shifts. The scenario changes. Life's fragility is primed. You hid your face. I was dismayed. The text makes an abrupt turn. Something went wrong. Life was going one way and it took an unexpected turn. A diagnosis, relationship trouble, death, financial hardship, worldwide pandemic. This wasn't part of the plan. Our strong mountain is now a pit, and we didn't see it coming. Walter Brueggemann has a helpful framework for thinking through the Psalms that follows this pattern. He notes that one way you can look at the entirety of the Psalms is through seeing them in a framework of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Psalms of orientation are those Psalms where all seems right in the world, and God's faithfulness and promises are easy to see and feel. Then there are the psalms of lament or disorientation, where all of that goodness we just described feels threatened, and mercy or justice 
or healing is needed. The world is knocked off center and we're knocked off it with it. Then finally, there are psalms of thanksgiving and reorientation. And this praise of God comes from a different place. A lived experience has taken us through the trouble, and we have a new experience of God's presence and faithfulness. There is a new depth to life on the other side of deliverance. The things that were true of God on that perceived solid mountain are still true, but our perspective has changed. Mourning has turned to dancing. There's a certain type of dancing that comes when you are feeling as strong as a mountain. I shall not be moved. And if this is where you are and life is good and God is good, by all means dance. But there is a certain depth to the dance on the other side of this move from orientation through disorientation to a new orientation. You remember that marriage retreat I mentioned earlier? Kelly moved us through that final section by giving us space to prime our fragility. Kelly would prompt us with a thought and then play some music for us to relax or do some writing exercises. In that time, we thought about our obituaries and those of our spouse. We thought about the things we would miss from our spouse if they were gone. It was intense, but beautiful. The room was silent and had a weight to it, but you didn't want to be anywhere else. As we headed into the last exercise, Kelly came to me in the back and he said, it feels a little heavy right now. He said, what if for the next exercise we offer them an opportunity to keep going with reflections or if they'd rather they can dance? I agreed and we gave it a try. Kelly offered up the reflection, we put on the music and slowly most couples got up and then we danced. As we danced around the room, you could feel it. It was a thin place, a holy moment. A moment where we knew we weren't going to live forever, but we were grateful for the life we've had and for the ones that we get to travel it with. You could feel this universal pattern of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation in the room. There is no doubt that there were marriages in that room that had struggled, were struggling. Marriages who had been through the hardship from diagnosis or raising kids or something else unexpected. Marriages that had emerged on the other side with a renewed commitment, gratitude, and love for their companion. Henry Nouwen writes, We hear an invitation to allow our mourning to become a place of healing, and our sadness as a way through pain to dancing. We learn to look fully into our losses, not evade them. By greeting life's pains with something other than denial, we may find something unexpected. By inviting God into our difficulties, we ground life, even in its sad moments, in joy and in hope. Psalm 30 ends with a confession and a commitment. Coming from a place of reorientation, these final declarations of praise are not just simple declarations using our well-formed church language because that's our practice or habit. These final words are hard-earned. Deep confessions of a lived experience. A commitment to life of seeking God in union with him and his purposes. The perspective has changed. Hear these words. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent.
O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I mentioned that dancing requires your whole being. And when you see someone truly dancing, like those folks the day at the marriage retreat, you see the intersection of their full embodied life. The movement, the emotion, the story, the history, the change, the transformation are all there in the present moment. Might we receive Psalm 30 today as an invitation to dance? Not in a naive way that is unaware of the realities of life, the troubles of today, or what may still be to come. But in a way that knows God is with us and able to make all things new. Might we join the psalmist with this confession and commitment of our own, bringing our whole beings into this life with God and reflecting on God's relational acts in our lives as we live it, so that our souls may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, our God, we will give thanks to you forever. Amen.